Hello and welcome to Strictly Jojo, a podcast dedicated to Jojo's bizarre adventure. My name is Courtney. And Kono Karuda. This is episode 88, and we're reviewing part three, Stardust Crusaders, The Lovers, part one. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the Jojo anime. I had to switch up our introduction uh, just to <laughs> make sure I wasn't making enough noise for our baby because we put him down for a nap. Uh, He's so, finally sleeping. Yes. <laughs> that took a couple tries, but yeah, I'll experiment with these introductions and you know, I'll, I'll see if the screaming one again, if that doesn't wake him up. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he'll just get used to it. I mean, I've done it a couple times before, but he's been a little more fussy recently um, as he has been getting older a couple more. Older. Weeks, <laughs> yeah, a couple more weeks. Um, so he's pretty finicky about taking his naps. So didn't want to risk it this time. But I guess speaking of things that age gracefully (laughs) (laughs) that transition Um, we have a very special piece of jojo news today because in the week of this episode's release on wednesday june 7th jojo creator hirohiko araki will be celebrating his 63rd birthday 63 63 and yet he (laughs) looks no different no. Than he did a million years ago. <laughs> yeah, like I said, he he ages like a fine wine. So a big old otanjovi omedeto gozaimasu to our Lord and Savior. <laughs> and then we have a second piece of JoJo news, which I don't know if you would consider this as exciting, but this comes from an article from Anime News Network headlined, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure manga inspires stage musical next February. Oh boy, here we go. (laughs) Toho announced on Thursday that Phantom Blood, the first arc of Hirohiko Araki's JoJo's Bizarre Adventure manga, is inspiring a stage musical adaptation that will debut in Tokyo's Imperial Theater in February 2024. If they're starting with part one, that only means that they're going to do all of the parts, which is yeah. fine, but also I don't. I it, to me, it's like the live action. Whenever I see an anime get a stage production, I feel similarly to when an anime gets a live action adaptation, which is not super excited. Yeah, I've noticed there have been a lot of musical adaptations of anime popping up. Uh, another one that I just happened to see is Attack on Titan. Oh yeah, I don't know how they would do a production like that. With like with set pieces and all the stuff that happens in the story, um, I guess it's kind of the same thing for JoJo, because you know JoJo's full of a lot of fantastical elements, and how they would represent Hamon with practical effects, or deal like becoming a vampire, all that jazz, and then setting that to original tunes. Uh, I don't know how this is going to work out, but <laughs> part of me hopes that they'll either open the show or end the show with Sonochino Sadame. Yeah, here's my thought around that. So when it comes to live action adaptations of anime in general, you just can't achieve the same nonsensical visuals um, or over-the-top visuals that you can in animation. Like, there's so much more you can do with animation that you just can't achieve with 
physical human beings. And so then you add on top of that the the limitations of having a musical versus like the CG effects and stuff of a live ad- live action adaptation, like a movie or something. And I just, I don't know how, to your point, I don't know how they're going to pull that off. Like, I think mm-hmm. about the part four live action, which I haven't actually seen, but I've seen clips of it and screenshots. And there are stands there, even though the characters are played by actual human beings because they were CGI'd in. How the hell are they going to do that? And not that there's going to be stands in part one, but you know what I mean? Like, if they were yeah. down the road to have a musical starting with part three or and onward, how do you have a stand? Like, I know what they're going to do. They're going to have a person cast as the stand, as Star Platinum or, or whatever. But how do you make that look as otherworldly as a stand? Or they could go the route of The Lion King and make all the stands puppets. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> yeah, that's the only practical way I can see them trying to do stands on stage besides making them human or like having them cast as actual actors because like some stands or maybe a majority of stands they don't look human so i i don't know how you'd pull that off yeah well we'll see what they end up doing with hamon for part one yeah that's gonna be maybe they'll just have a bunch of electricity (laughs) (laughs) or like use the like stage lights to simulate like hamon attacks or whatever But if anyone is interested in reading more about this JoJo musical, uh, maybe you'll be in Japan in February 2024, so you can go ahead and watch it. Um, We'll we'll share a link to this Anime News Network article in the Discord. So if you are not already a member, the link to that is in the description. So let's dive into The Lovers Part 1. I know there's a lot going on with this episode. I know that, um, you know, this stand is a very, very unique stand. But what, okay, I'm going to use the word stand again. What stands out the most to me about this episode is how it showcases how much Jotaro actually cares about Joseph, his grandfather. Because we see him throughout this episode being uh, beaten up, like willingly being beaten up and humiliated in order to keep Joseph alive. And I know there's, we get these moments throughout part three where Jotaro is put in a situation where he has to help Joseph in some way. Um, and it kind of shows us a glimpse into how much he cares about his grandfather. And this is just one of like those perfect examples. Yeah, that was mostly what I got from this episode. Uh, again, like the Dom Toretto family theme with Jotaro doing what he can to protect Joseph. But as with uh, Justice with this first part, it's, I know I called these like introductory episodes before. I want to change that to kind of setup episode. Like this is just the next setup episode where we get a glimpse of the new enemy stand user and what his stand is capable of. But I feel like besides the the Joseph and Jothro part, there were parts of this episode that kind of just dragged out, which made me kind of question, like I know there's a lot of these part one, part two episodes, but it makes me think like, are, are these really necessary or are they just trying to kind of structure this to accommodate as much as they can? for like a specific stand of the week thing. 
Yeah, you bring up a good point. Like it kind of breaks away from like the stand and we stand user of the week formula because they're actually mini arcs because you're right. There are going to be a lot of part one, part two episodes coming up now that we've reached the Enyaba and beyond set of enemy stand users. But yeah, I guess it just depends. Like it just it just depends how much of a threat that particular enemy stand user poses where we have to question, does it warrant having two episodes? I mean, I'll tell you, after we get through The Lovers, the next one is The Sun. And that's, that's only one episode, because it doesn't need more than one episode. <laughs> no, yeah, that's, that was a fantastic episode. And then it jumps back into two-parter episodes with Death 13, Judgment, High Priestess, etc. Um, so I like that they have two-parters, because again, when we get to Enyaba, that signals the next tier of enemy stand users where they're more intense they're more of a threat um they're more intelligent at least you'd assume so so they have more storytelling behind them but you're right i don't think every single time it's going to be necessary to have two episodes i get that like especially with the lovers it's it's a unique stand at least one of the more unique stands we've encountered in part three so far because it has this ability to uh, afflict pain on, on its target while also inflicting pain on its own user but I don't think like there were parts of this episode where it's like okay they have to figure out what to do but they kind of just felt like they could drag that into two episodes like with uh, Silver Chariot and Hierophant Green having to enter Joseph's body like I felt like that could have taken up maybe 10 minutes Although I know, like these are twenty minute episodes, uh, but I don't, I don't think it could have been dragged out so much. Yeah, to your point, it feels like Steely Dan is spending half the episode explaining how a stand works. Yeah, and he does not have that complicated of a stand. Part six has way more complicated stands than mm-hmm. Steely Dan's The Lover, the, Lo- the Lovers. So yeah, I think that it it did it could be seen as a bit drawn out. Um, but I still think it was a pretty good episode because of what it gave us in terms of the setup for Jotaro and Joseph. But all right, JoJo fans, it's time to Jotaro bridge the gap between Stardust-crossed lovers with our synopsis and discussion for Part 3, Episode 16, The Lovers, Part 1. The Crusaders go on a horse and buggy ride into the Call of Duty level of Karachi, where Josephu uses the art of the deal to procure a noontime snack from a stingy vendor. But it turns out that the Karachi kid is none other than their newest nemesis, Dan of Steel, who uses the ability of his micropenist stand, the lovers, to plant a deadly Squidward Jr. into Enyaba Humbug's head, ensuring that she doesn't become a no-good, dirty-rotten, two-timing squealer. The micropenist stand then boards a connecting flight to Josephu's brain, wherein he plays Simon Says in replicating Dan of Steel's pain points dialed up to 11 while nursing a new Squidward Jr. that will send him to Bikini Bottom within 10 minutes. Jotaro the juvenile Jojo becomes compelled to throw some star-platinumed hands on behalf of the geriatric Joestar, but recants and unwillingly becomes Dan's lapdog and personal bridge under threat of causing further harm to Josephu. So in the meantime, Josephu decides to team up with Kakyoin and Polnareff to become a three-stooge surgeon team by performing laparoscopic surgery to remove the lovers, 
using Hermit Purple's Voyeur Cam and Mermaid Man's Shrink Ray to send Hierophant's chariot into the depths of Josephu's nutty old noggin. Although considering Josephu's track record of failed foreign surgeries on this trip thus far, let's hope this one will have a more loverly outcome. And now onto our next segment of the show, is that a music and or tarot reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and not-so-ordinary world of tarot cards. So we have two references in this episode. First with the enemy stand user Steely Dan, the haggling miscreant. His name is a reference to Steely Dan, which is an American rock band from New York labeled by Rolling Stone as the perfect musical anti-heroes of the 70s. Steely Dan is known for such singles as Do It Again, Reeling in the Years, and get this, Aja, or I guess Asia. Oh, the redstone of Aja. Right. From part two. Mm Mm-hmm. And fun fact for Steely Dan's voice actor, which is Daisuke Kishio, he voiced Hanzo in Hunter x Hunter, who's the bald hunter who faced off against Gon in the hunter exams, if you remember that. Uh, yeah, I was going to say something about it. I'm going to spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> and another fun fact is that Steely Dan's localized name is probably one of my favorite localized names in part three. And that is? As I said in the synopsis, Dan of Steel. It's so funny. <laughs> they just said, fuck it. Like they, they probably couldn't think of anything that came close enough to Steely Dan, like Steel Dan probably could have been good, but mm-hmm. uh, Dan of Steel, why not? Fuck it at this point. <laughs> I mean, you're teetering on like copyright infringement with Superman, of course, but I think it's it's a clever pun. And the second reference in this episode is in regards to a tarot reference with Steely Dan Stan, The Lovers, which is a reference to The Lovers, the sixth card in the tarot deck representing attraction, love, beauty, and trials overcome. The Lovers signals a wonderful cohesiveness and balance of forces, indicating complementary energies and a pair that works well together. That is absolutely not the case with this enemy stand, although its mutual painful connection with its intended target, I guess represents a twisted complementary energy forcing a pair to work well together and now it's time for the jojo meme rundown where we list each new jojo meme that appeared in this episode and we have jotaro bridge yes yes we do fucking jotaro bridge this one is great because it goes beyond just like a simple image meme which i do have you know, one that I'll share in the Discord. What if we kiss on the Jotaro <laughs> What if we kissed on the Jotaro Bridge? But this goes above and beyond that. And there are just a handful of JoJo memes that have the scope that this one does. And what I mean by that is the Jotaro Bridge made it onto Google Maps multiple times because people kept submitting it. I looked up a couple of them, and I think the most popular one was when Jotaro Bridge showed up in California on Google Maps. And um, that one had, I think, quite a number of reviews. I think the screenshot I have is 324 reviews (laughs) with (laughs) 4.9 stars. And the picture is the fucking Jotaro Bridge. It's Jotaro spanning himself over that little body of water. And then I've also seen it in Pakistan, too, where the episode takes place. I just couldn't find a screenshot of it. Yeah, I think I I was trying to look this up on Google Maps 
uh, sometime after originally watching this episode. And I think I found it, but then I just started to look it up again. Um, it didn't send me anywhere. Although there is like a, a bridge meme for when Jotaro faces off against Dio in Egypt. Yeah, I was going to say there are some other locations from Jojo that have made it onto Google Maps. Um, the Dio's mansion in Egypt, uh, the Joestar mansion in Europe, and then, yeah, the bridge in Egypt where Jotaro and Dio fight. But I'm pretty sure they're user submitted, and then, of course, Google finds out about them and deletes them. I hope there is a Jojo fan who lives in Karachi, Pakistan, who did come up with the idea to create a Jotaro bridge, <laughs> almost as like a, a, a memorial. This does remind me of one of my all-time favorite JoJo memes, which I think is a highly underrated JoJo meme. And that's when uh, Jotaro was submitted multiple times to the marine biologist page on Wikipedia to the point mm. where even to this day, I looked it up yesterday before we recorded this, even to this day, there's a note on that page that at, at the top that says that you cannot submit Jotaro to the marine biologist page, that there's a separate page for fictional marine biologists, basically saying, Jojo fans, please fucking stop. I'll dive more <laughs> into that when we get to part four, but I figured it'd be fun to mention it now because it kind of ties into these Jojo memes and how crazy and out of scope they can become because we're fucking Jojo fans. I do have a question though about that. With the meme, and maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit into the episode, do you think that Star Platinum helped to brace Jotaro? Or was he just really that fucking ripped where he has the core strength to support his own weight plus Steely Dan's weight? I mean, look at Jotaro. He's a fucking brick shit house. <laughs> I, mean, I wouldn't doubt that it was just his own strength that allowed him to create that bridge. I mean, in the episode, it shows him struggling. He's got like the sweat marks and stuff, and he's kind of grunting to, you know, as he's bracing Steely Dan's weight. So yeah, maybe it was all on his own. But as always, if we missed any other memes from this episode, please reach out and let us know. So before we actually dive into things, we have to do a quick check to see if they stopped using JoJo, the, the nickname JoJo in this episode. This one's interesting. Um, so in the subtitles, at least where we were watching it on Netflix, the subtitles say JoJo in the very beginning when the narrator is explaining like the, the travels that they're doing through Pakistan. But when I listen to it, I'm pretty sure the narrator in Japanese says Jotaro. He says Jotaro Tachi, meaning like Jotaro and friends or Jotaro and company or, you know, the gang or whatever. Um, so I, I wouldn't count this as Jojo only because like the core script in Japanese did not use the name Jojo. They said Jotaro. I mean, what do you, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, if there's a discrepancy in what we hear versus what is indicated in the subtitles, I would default to what is actually heard as the quote-unquote proper canon. So yeah, I guess this is another episode where JoJo is not used. And I, I feel like maybe we're getting to the point where they start to phase out that nickname. Um, but we'll see with each episode. I also noticed in this episode, and maybe I just didn't catch it in the ones pre prior to this episode, the sky is pink throughout the lover's arc. Maybe for love? I would assume so. Because it's kind of interesting that they chose a different sky color for the lover's arc. 
And we don't really see that until we get to part four where the sky is permanently a different color. Unless it's just indicating the country that they're in. I mean, I would say we should try to pay attention to the colors of the sky as the Crusaders travel to each different country. But I think in other cases, the, the sky is mostly blue. And I'm even looking at our Stardust Crusaders photo, our framed photo um, <laughs> on our podcast desk, and the sky is blue there. So, yeah, maybe it's thematic and tying in with the lovers, or if it's meant to evoke like a, a sort of arid desert climate um, with this episode taking place in Karachi. Yeah, we'll definitely keep an eye out and see if uh, there are other episodes that have a specific color for the sky. It's probably the case. There are so many episodes in part three that it's likely there's another arc, but I just caught that figure to be fun to share. So after the narrator explains the travels and we get the opening, the first image we get is the gang, the Crusaders, in a horse-drawn carriage that's extremely ornate. What the fuck? <laughs> like, I know that whole horse stole their car in the last episode, but where the fuck did they get such an ornate horse-drawn carriage? I, I'm sure Joseph had the money to pay for it. Yeah, and I'm wondering if, <laughs> if this is a callback to part one, where the one that started it all with George Joestar having that carriage accident. Oh, yeah, that's right. So as they're going through this town, Joseph wants to stop for some kebab. Um, and I've never noticed this until our last rewatch. It's CGI meat. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, it's the, like the, so inconspicuous, but it, it's like there. What do you call that thing that spins? There's a specific word for it. I don't know if I know the word. Or unless it's just called a spinner. <laughs> a spinner. The meat spinner. <laughs> a rotisserie? Oh, no, I'm I'm trying to... Uh, a spit, that's what it's a called. A spit, yeah, there you yeah. go. Uh, yeah, it, it looks kind of weird in CGI, but... Yeah, again, I never noticed it until this particular rewatch, so it's, it's not obvious enough, but when you notice it, you can't help but see it. Anyway, so the narrator explains how negotiating works as Joseph demonstrates, and we all know that Joseph is well-traveled, so he's not afraid to haggle. He's been down this road before, but of course, it's JoJo. So the haggling is so intense that both parties start yelling at the top of their lungs for absolutely no reason. And Joseph thinks he walks away with a steal, but he doesn't because it's Steely Dan. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, oh, this almost plays out. I've never played these games, but I've seen like gameplay videos like Ace Attorney where it's like the the characters are like trying to one-up each other. Uh and yeah, I know this is a this is also a common practice in the Philippines because I've seen my dad like when we went on trips to the Philippines, I've seen him haggle with like local market vendors um, when we were trying to get souvenirs and such. But with this part, this is where I started to think they're kind of dragging things out in this episode because yeah, the narrator provides a, a summary, a reader's digest of the art of haggling which is great and all but then it goes into actually watching joseph have this exchange with we find out later to be steely dan like i didn't think i don't even know how many minutes this this scene went on but i think it just went on a little bit too much after it ends joseph turns around and 
lo and behold, and Yaba is awake, looking all freaky while also freaking out. And I can't help but think she kind of ruined everything for Steely Dan because he could have done a surprise attack if she didn't open her mouth. Joseph had no idea he was an enemy stand user. None of the Crusaders did. So he could have easily like fucked with them, but she had to freak out and call him out. Um, and when she does, she then has tentacles coming out of every orifice of her face. And yeah, it was pretty gruesome. She seems to like not notice at all or not feel the pain at all, but it looks really fucking gross. So this is where I have a question regarding what happened in the last episode. Remember Whole Horse warned the group about having Anyaba with them? Like that was going to be dangerous to have her along? Is this what was dangerous? Because I think without her help or her indirect help, they wouldn't have located Steely Dan. That's a good point. My only thought is that maybe he's saying Enyaba is now like on the hit list for Dio. And so all of these enemy sand users are going to be coming to mm. the Crusaders, not only to get them, but also to get Enyaba. So it's like double the reason to locate them. But other than that, I don't know. Because, yeah, she's gone just as quickly as she, like, joined the group. But she's still no rat. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and interestingly, even after, in the last arc, and Yaba tried to kill Paul Nareff, and even worse, made him lick a dirty toilet, he's still concerned about her as, like, these tentacles are coming out of her face. Um, he, like, yells at Steely Dan and saying, like, he's wrong for hurting an old lady and rushes to her side. And I'm like, this is interesting because... Polnareff has killed people and you know in particular Jay Guile but when it comes to this particular stand user just because she's an old lady he says that it's not right for her to be killed in this way I'm like she literally tried to kill you dude I don't know I don't know if it's just him being naive or if it's him just being compassionate because he can be both at any given moment maybe it's also the fact that he killed her son like how she had family taken away from her just as how he had his sister taken away from him like the, he kind of knows what she's going through in a way and so that's why even though she tried to kill him like two episodes or an episode ago he would rather not put her in harm's way now yeah, I guess so. Polnareff's an interesting one. He can, he does things his own way. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, I just found it interesting that he was so concerned about Anyaba in that moment. And the Crusaders realized that Anyaba is like, like the tentacles are from a flesh, flesh blood, flesh, flesh, flesh bud. bud. <laughs> and Steely Dan says that it had grown to full size and attacked her. So this is what would happen if those flesh buds were still in Polnareff and Kakioin's heads. Um, all the while, Anyaba is saying that she didn't betray Dio. And then even when Joseph implores her to help them find Dio in her final moments, she refuses and stays loyal to Dio. And this shows the power that Dio has over his subordinates. They remain loyal even when he's killing them. Um, I guess there's exceptions like Whole Horse, I wouldn't say, is the most loyal uh, you know, uh, henchman of Dio. Mm -hmm. And there was the other one, oh God, I can't remember who it was, um, where Jotaro like pins him down in like, 
a lake or something and he's like i give up i give up i just was doing this for the money i can't remember the fucking stan user oh yeah i think it's in the the later half of part three yeah there's someone else who's like i was in this for the money but maybe he was just saying that to throw jotaro off the trail either way whole horse for sure i would say is probably not the most loyal person to dio because he kind of is like polnareff he just does his own thing or does things when it's beneficial to him but what I'm trying to get at is Dio, as Avdol had described in the beginning of Stardust Crusaders, is a master manipulator and has people wrapped around his finger. Yeah, it's crazy to think how much of a grip he has on these people to the point where even though their life is in danger, or like they are so close to death, they're still willing to surrender to this guy at the cost of like their own detriment well after she dies um steely dan gets all cocky and whatnot and this pisses jotaro off probably because with steely dan acting so overly confident and cool that kind of stuff just really annoys jotaro and so (laughs) i love this scene because when steely dan barely finishes his sentence telling jotaro like oh bring it on or whatever you get star platinum gut punching the fuck out of steely dan and sending him flying and the reason i love this scene is because i love the abruptness between like steely dan talking calmly when he's sitting at that table and then bam gut punch from star platinum with that great sound design um it just sounds so intense and you get him like flying backwards yeah it's crazy because i think like steely dan later says that he has the world's weakest stand and you could easily just beat the shit out of him and spoiler alert that is what happens to him in part two but i think the added factor of how this stand is able to inflict that same pain onto someone else just makes things really really interesting and then the cherry on top for this whole scene is steely dan like trying to get up with blood coming out of his mouth saying jotaro is an idiot for punching him so quickly before he could even explain how his stand power works it was just so funny because jotaro is a pretty rash person um he doesn't deal with bullshit but he at least kind of like takes things as they not as they come but like he he's methodical sometimes about like what he does here he just gut reaction can't stand this guy punches him and doesn't realize that it's also about to kill joseph so then steely dan offers some cash to some kid if he hits him in the leg with his broom which causes joseph to take some damage and then steely dan goes into this very elongated explanation about how his stand works saying that when his stand gets hurt um the user gets hurt but for his stand it's the complete opposite there's let me let me rephrase that when a stand gets hurt in general like any stand gets hurt the user the stand user gets hurt but for his stand it's kind of the opposite also being true so when steely dan gets hurt his stand gets hurt and then acts in a rage to also inflict similar damage at a much higher intensity of pain to the victim so it's kind of like back and forth because if his stand gets beat up, he feels it. But if he gets beat up, his stand feels it and then also mimics that pain to whoever is the victim. 
brain's fried right now. <laughs> but, yes, <laughs> it's I, more like unlike most stands where the mm-hmm. pain is like one way. Stand gets hurt, user gets hurt. Yeah, it's a um, two way street. Yeah, yeah, it's like either way, everyone's hurting when it comes to Steely Dan and the lovers. He also mentions that the lovers brought in a flesh bud into Joseph's body. <laughs> Because it can just do that for some reason. I guess so. Although the <laughs> the flesh bud is like way bigger than what I would imagine the lovers actually actually are like size wise. Because if you think about how small Polnareff and Kakuyan had to shrink their stands, the flesh buds were way bigger than that. They were on their fucking foreheads. Yeah, I guess my concern is how the stand can just happen to create the same flesh buds that Dio implants. Well, they probably carried it in. They probably had it already. Mm, and then okay. they brought it in somehow without it getting exposed to sunlight and also with it being really, really tiny. I'm defaulting to the JoJo wiki here where it's one of the lover's abilities. It's called Spores Cultivation, saying thanks to its size, it can carry an individual spore, Dio spore, inside someone's brain and then feed it with brain cells to make it grow. Uh so yeah, I guess it just had these flesh buds in its pocket. It had one spore and brought <laughs> it in. <laughs> then the kid with the broom hits Steely Dan again without his permission, and he slaps him, and I'm like, holy shit, that's intense. Um, so then Steely Dan continues to say that his stand is the weakest in the world because it basically has no physical strength. It can't even lift a strand of hair. But I think back to, back to, I think forward to part six, didn't Dio tell Poochie in a flashback that a different stand was the weakest? Because we had that scene, that flashback where Poochie asked Dio, what do you think is the weakest stand? And he says, shit, I can't remember the name. Survivor. Survivor, yeah. The one that makes people rage because it doesn't do anything on its own. It needs to trigger um, something in the person's brain when they touch water to get them to like rage or whatever. So it's interesting how Iraqi makes the seemingly weak stands actually pretty difficult to overcome because Survivor was very difficult to overcome. And mm-hmm. you could argue that the lovers is equally diff- difficult to overcome unless you have a stand and can shrink it down to a microscopic size and go into your body with it. Yeah, I mean, this isn't a combative stand. Uh, so you have to find a different way to circumvent it, its damage, which I get that's what makes the lovers interesting because it's not all about melee combat at this point. Like the Crusaders really have to think about how to overcome like like this unique ability of like pain being inflicted on another person. And that brings us to the eye catch for this episode, which shows the stand stats for the lovers. So we have destructive power at E, speed at D, range at A, durability at A, precision and accuracy at D, and development potential at E. So I find it weird that precision and accuracy is D because, I mean, doesn't it need to have some level of precision in order to enter somebody's body and go straight to their brain? Yeah, that's... True. So I'm wondering why this one would be at D. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's to to fit in with Steely Dan calling this the world's weakest stand. Uh, in in terms of the stand's design, it's very far from looking lovely. Although I was reading some trivia, and 
I think it's supposed to be a mix of a fly, a flea, and the robot from the 1986 film Short Circuit. Oh my god. <laughs> so. When we jump back into the episode, um, Steely Dan continues to elaborate on his Stan's abilities and cracks his knuckles, which causes Joseph's prosthetic hand to start twitching. And Joseph says that he can feel the knuckles cracking in his metal hand. How? <laughs> How does he feel anything in that prosthetic hand? There are no nerves in it. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Unless it's the lovers doing something to his brain where he thinks he's feeling it, but there's no actual nerve endings there. I don't know. That that got me a bit confused. I think that was probably the most far-fetched part of the episode, and there's a lot going on in this episode, but that one I was like, how? How can he feel it? Maybe Joseph's so accustomed to the metal hand that he's used to it working a certain way. And so when it starts like spazzing out like that, where he, he says like he feels the knuckles like cracking in a weird way, like he knows like something's wrong with the hand, basically. Yeah, I could see that. It has been a part of him for many, many years since part two, basically. Yeah, like 50 or yeah, 40 or 50 years. Yeah. Well, okay, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> um, and then Steely Dan tells Joseph that he has 10 minutes before the flesh bud kills him in the same way that it did with Anyaba. And this sets Jotaro off in anger where he's about to punch Steely Dan with Star Platinum until Kakyoin stops him. Um, Jotaro says that he'll kill Steely Dan so quickly he won't have time to feel pain. Uh, I just think this is so funny because, again, Jotaro is usually the calm rational one who can think ahead or be methodical about things but here i kind of think he's displaying a bit of joseph's trait which is um how joseph gets set off and super angry whenever someone hurts his family or threatens his family mm -hmm. so you get a bit of that there there's not many similarities between jotaro and joseph but i like to think that the joestar bloodline the joestar resolve is what gets them to both be so protective over their family. Yeah, I think that's the most obvious thing coming out of Jotaro in this episode is like, yeah, it goes back to Holly, right? They're they're here to save Holly and Jotaro especially because like, it's his mother. Uh, but I think this is even more direct being someone who's part of the group, Joseph, and them being blood related of course too um but i think yeah that's just a i think that's just the typical thing with the joestar bloodline is always wanting to protect their own but as we say that ironically jotaro is about to kill joseph because right. steely dan taunts jotaro and then tells or jotaro tells him not to underestimate him because he said he when he says he'll do something he does it. And again, he tries to punch him until Kakyoin and Polnareff stop him. And then Kakyoin's like, bro, are you trying to kill your grandfather? So even though he's really pissed that someone is threatening his grandfather, he's also not like hesitating to kill his grandfather. I think one interesting line that Dan says to egg Jotaro on is he says, how about busting a hole through my chest? Oh, Donut Gang. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Maybe it's a Rocky acknowledging that's how he kills off a lot of yeah, characters. Yeah, like this is a like a foreshadowing moment. 
Amidst all of the back and forth between Jotaro and Steely Dan, we get Joseph's inner thoughts where he's distressed uh, that his grandson is getting beaten up just to keep himself from being killed. Um, again, that back and forth, the Joestar bloodline, you know, we wanted to protect your own family. But then he recalls the ring that was put on his aorta back in part two. And I just... I love that. I love a good callback. It's super fast. He doesn't really expand on that, but he just says, I remember another time something was stuck in my body without, you know, my my consent. That sounds really bad. <laughs> you get what I mean. Wow. He has a stand in his body, and before he had a poison ring put in his body. But either way, I'm like, this is great. I just I love when they have these little nods to part two because it happened. It's part of Joseph's history. It's part of his backstory now. It's great when he brings it up. Isn't it weird, though, to think that this thing of of the heart or the poison that was placed in his heart in part two happened just a season ago, but we're so far removed from that now? Oh, it's just kind of weird. It is, because that's not that long ago, especially if you binge and go right from season season two, part two to part three. But you're right. Like, when you've watched enough of Stardust Crusaders, it feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah. I mean, it's it was a 40-year span between part two and part three, so I guess that's also a factor. But, yeah, it's weird because it's just going from season to season. Uh, but I think another thing that kind of harkens back to part two is that Joseph runs off with Kakuin and Polnareff. That, His that ultimate strategy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting that the three of them run off. They're trying to make distance from Steely Dan, but then Dan says because his stand is so weak, instead of, you know, having a bunch of strength, it instead has insane range. Kind of the opposite of Star Platinum. Like Star Platinum is one of the probably the most powerful, physically powerful um, stands out there, but it has a range of only like five meters. So it's kind of a give and take. Either you have a weak stand with a crazy range or you have a very strong stand with a very, very short range. But what's interesting, what, what's notable here is that Steely Dan is still explaining how his stand works and we're almost to the end of the episode. So I think to your earlier point, it feels very dragged out because all of the things that he's saying about his stand could have been said in like just a couple of minutes. But here we are, episode's almost over and there's still talk of like what his stand can do. Steely Dan takes things to the next level though when he taunts Jotaro by taking his money and his watch. Which that watch, he mentions a, a real world brand by name, which is Tag Heuer. Yeah. Or Tag Heuer. I don't know how you pronounce this. Uh, and I don't, I don't remember any other instance in JoJo where they bring up a real brand. So it's very interesting that Steely Dan calls it out that it's a tag cure, which you know, I think is a, a very prominent, very respectable watch brand. Uh, just a side note, though, is I found this Reddit post where this user actually identifies the tag hewer watch that Jothro owns. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it's it's a pretty lengthy post. So if anyone's interested, um, we can share this in the Discord. But, yeah, this user narrowed it down to, like, a, a piece that was sold by the company in the late 80s. So I love it. 
That's exactly what JoJo fans do. They find those little things and they take them and run with them, like the Jotaro Bridge that made it on Google Maps. Polnareff, Kakyoin, and Joseph find some TVs. Joseph uses Hermit Purple um, to see the stand in his head. And then Polnareff and Kakyoin shrink their stands down to enter Joseph's body. And Polnareff says that it takes a lot of power to keep them that small. I don't know of any other instance in JoJo where they intentionally shrink down their stands. But what's weird is when you think about strength, the episode strength with a stand, um, the giant boat, that's a stand. Strength. And, <laughs> yeah. And the orangutan. Um, it, it The whole thing behind that giant boat is that it had so much energy to manifest like the orangutan obviously has like a million times the strength of a human being so it had so much energy that it could manifest a stand big enough for non-stand users to see like Anne. so here we're finding out that it also takes an immense amount of power to shrink down your stand which you would think it would be easy like because you're using less power to make your stand less visible or less large less large smaller basically um but yeah it takes a lot of power i would think it's almost like trying to compress yourself into a crawl space like how much i mean there's not energy but the effort it takes to try to do that yeah because they're they're manipulating their stand in a way that's not normally done plus like trying to keep it at that size because imagine if like they couldn't <laughs> this sounds weird they couldn't hold it in anymore <laughs> and then like joseph's body explodes because they bring hierophant green and silver chariot back to regular size but wouldn't the stands just dissipate like they would either dissipate or just go through joseph because they're Maybe. not physical things because if you think about the earlier part of the episode when Anyaba has the tentacles coming out of her face kakyoin says that's not a stand because it's physically there hmm. so i would imagine I, I, that'd be funny or not funny but like i could see what you mean about their stands like suddenly growing in size and then joseph explodes <laughs> but i i think the more likely thing is that those stands would just disappear um or they would just go through him because they're not physically there. I'd like to think he could potentially explode <laughs> if they were to grow back to regular size. And the episode ends with the Jotaro Bridge and with Jotaro being really fucking pissed at Steely Dan and that last image of him just glaring at Dan from behind and you know that some good shit's going to go down in the next episode. You got to note that Jotaro isn't even gripping the edge of the stone. It's just his flat palm on the stone, right? Again, that's insane core strength. So if, <laughs> if Star Platinum is not secretly helping him in that moment, Jotaro has the most insane ab control. Yeah, the his the strength of the Jotaro bridge probably rivals that of like the Golden Gate Bridge. It rivals that of the strength of the Joestar family. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And with that, we're going to bridge this over to our final thoughts for part three, episode 16, The Lovers, part one. So did you think that this setup episode was loverly? I thought it was good. I I get what you mean that it's probably not necessary to have this part one. A lot of what happened could have been condensed and included in a single episode that also combined everything from part two. But I still enjoyed it. 
I still enjoyed it more than other episodes where it focused on one enemy stand user and had a complete story around them where like they were introduced and defeated all in the same episode. So at least it's got that going for it. It's an entertaining episode and we get to see Jotaro in a new light where he's really fucking pissed and he's not thinking straight. He's just going right for the punch, even if it means almost killing Joseph. So I like those moments in Stardust Crusaders when we see Jotaro not acting 100% like he normally does. Because um, that's what makes a good character is you get to see them in very unique situations versus seeing the same character over and over again throughout an entire show or season or what have you. What about you? Yeah, I thought it was a decent episode. There was a full-on display of Steely Dance power and it's really bewildering trait of indirectly inflicting pain on its enemies which really beckons the question of how the Crusaders are going to fight their way out of this one, though it's unique in that none of the Crusaders can easily put up a fight against this enemy stand user that's basically holding Joseph hostage. But we'll figure all that out in the next episode. Um, but to use the common workplace phrase, this could have been condensed in an email. That's how I kind of feel with this episode. I feel like this two-parter could have been condensed into one episode without all the fluff because it certainly feels dragged out with scenes like the haggling scene or how they have to explain how they have to penetrate Joseph's blood vessel wall. Penetrate Joseph. Oh <laughs> there we go again. Uh, but I'll be honest, I, I don't really remember the conclusion of The Lovers Part 2, so my opinion on this may change and maybe I'll get flack for it. But I guess at the very least with this episode, we got Jotaro Bridge, so I'll give it that. Uh, but that still makes me excited to see Part 2 because, no pun intended, the next episode is where Star Platinum absolutely shines. I don't remember either. Wait, what? <laughs> The very end where Steely Dan gets his comeuppance. I I don't remember. So really? when I watch, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll see what you mean. I'm surprised, but <laughs> okay. Thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. We appreciate you so much. And if any of you have been to Jotaro Bridge or at least the locations that were marked on Google Maps for Jotaro Bridge, let us know. I'd love to see what it was actually like. Subscribe as always to Strictly Jojo on our favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com/slash the strictly series. And tune into Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. To be continued.